This is the first Sunday after Epiphany, and we begin a mini-season now that is the completion or the capstone of the Advent-Christmas Epiphany cycle. This was the second post that was put into the liturgical year as we began to uh, create a liturgical year. The first one was uh, was Easter, uh, Lent, Easter, Pentecost. And so we do them sort of out of order in terms of our calendar these days. But on the first Sunday after Epiphany, we read one of the versions in the Synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, of Jesus' baptism. The Eastern Orthodox Church, uh, on Epiphany proper, reads the Gospel about Jesus' baptism. So they begin with the inauguration of his public ministry. On Epiphany, Western Christians read the story of the visit of the three magi to the infant Jesus. And the purpose for doing that on Epiphany is to make clear from the biblical witness that Jesus' birth has universal significance. And the magi constitute uh, three kings from all parts of the then known world who have now come to pay homage to the infant Jesus. And then on the Sunday after Epiphany, we read the gospel, uh, uh, a gospel of Jesus' baptism and the inauguration of his public ministry. So on the first Sunday after uh, Epiphany, we call this also the baptism of Christ. And it affords the opportunity to say some things about the importance and the centrality of baptism. One of the fruits of the liturgical renewal in Western Christianity that is now more than 50 years old has been the recovery of the understanding of the centrality of baptism and also a refocus not on something new but on how early Christians, how the primitive Christian church, the people who came up with the liturgical year, understand baptism. So one of the things that they say uh, are trying to emphasize or de-emphasize is that baptism is not only or maybe mainly cosmic spot remover. It is initiation into the body of Christ, becoming a full member the receiving of the Holy Spirit of God, God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen us and to begin to allow us to see who we are and what God wants us to do, even if we're infants or little children. <clears throat> By the way, uh, Episcopalians, Roman Catholics, other mainline churches, uh, baptize infants and young children. And the biblical warrant we believe we have to do that is that in the New Testament, in more than one place, it refers to the apostles uh, baptizing households. So one presumes that at least in some of these households, there were infants and young children. If we have no baptisms, we, at St. Luke's, we, we baptize people four times a year. The baptism of Christ, Easter, Pentecost, and All Saints Sunday. So if we don't have any baptisms, we renew our baptismal vows. 
And so in a few minutes, Mother McNeil will lead us all into in the, in the renewal of our baptismal vows. Now, in the Episcopal Church, we have something that is uh, different in, in a number of churches in the Anglican Communion. We have a baptismal covenant. The Canadian Church has a baptismal covenant. The New Zealand Church has a baptismal covenant. The Australian Church has a baptismal covenant, for example. But there are many churches that do not have a baptismal covenant. And some of them are quite hostile to the idea that we should have such a thing. Imagine making a covenant with God or a contract. But the fact of the matter is that the great story of salvation history, both in the Hebrew Bible and in the Christian scriptures, is God's faithful, unwavering relationship with his people, with his word, in the midst of our fickleness, our waywardness, our lack of faith. And it is by virtue of this that we begin to understand something about the nature of the processes of God and that he always has been engaged in relationship with us. That's what covenant means. It isn't that we have made a bargain or a deal or a contract with God. It means that we have uh, said that we intend now to live up to this relationship, an expression of gratitude for God's unconditional love, acceptance, and forgiveness. So at our baptism, we now receive the template. And when we renew our baptismal promises, we renew that which we can always refer to in our Book of Common Prayer regarding our own personal spiritual progress. And that's why we do this four times a year. In the Gospel for today from Matthew, we have Matthew's version of Jesus' baptism. And uh, in a way, I wish we would uh, have the three-year cycle of readings uh, set up not how, not how the Gospels appear in the New Testament in, in their canonical order, but maybe on their historical order in terms of date. So that year A, which we're in now, would be Mark. Year B would be Matthew. Year C would be Luke. And the reason I say that is because in Mark's Gospel, we have a, a difference between what his report of Jesus' baptism and Matthew and Luke's report of his baptism. In Mark's gospel, Jesus is baptized by John the Baptist. He comes out of the water, and the voice from heaven is heard only by him, no one else. And it constitutes for Jesus a vocational moment, some understanding of his vocation uh, where he now sees it in depth and he understands what it is that he's going to do. We know this is true, by the way, because after Jesus was baptized, his ministry took a left turn from John the Baptist. John the Baptist was preaching repentance, metatoiete, repent, turn around and look at your life in a new way. Jesus did preach repentance, but the centerpiece 
of his preaching and teaching and mighty works was the presence of the kingdom of God. And that all of us are participants in the kingdom of God and God's plan for the cosmos. So today we read from Matthew and Jesus is baptized and he comes out of the water and a voice from heaven says, you are my beloved son, this is my beloved son rather, uh, with whom I'm well pleased. And it's heard by everyone. So for Matthew and for Luke, this voice is the word to the church. It's the word to all of us that by virtue of our own baptism, we participate in this belovedness of God. And that now we are empowered through this sacramental activity to be able to do God's work in the world. Let me just rehearse to you uh, Father Brewer's breathless tour of the synoptic theory. Mark is the oldest gospel. Matthew and Luke had a copy of Mark to write their gospel. Matthew had some material that Mark didn't have and that Luke didn't have called Special M. Luke had some material that Matthew and Mark did not have called Special L. And Mark and Matthew had a mystery source that we call Q for the German word quella, which means source. Some people have made a lot of, out of Q, and I don't think as much that some make out of Q really is uh, that reliable. But some sort of oral tradition that was written down that's separate uh, clearly was around, although we do not possess it or have it. So in any case, we have now, and the other thing I wanted to say is this, there are four Gospels in the Bible, in the New Testament. They do not agree with one another. And for the early church that put together the canon of the New Testament, it was okay. It was okay that there were differences. And after all, theology is the reflection on the biblical text and its meaning. And so it's important to realize that. From our standpoint as individuals and as a community, trying to appropriate this text and make it part of our own personal history, we would have to say that this event is not just an interior experience of Jesus, but one that has corporate significance and that what Jesus is by nature, we become through adoption and grace at our baptism. And so through our baptism, we are now God's children with whom he is well pleased. Let me say a couple of things about vocation. The word vocation comes from a Latin word, vocare, which means the technical definition of vocare uh, which means to call. And for many centuries in Christianity, vocation meant some dedicated life in the church. 
members of the clergy or religious communities ordered in some fashion, they had a vocation. And one of the benefits of the liturgical renewal has been to recover the idea that everybody has a vocation. Everybody has a vocation to live the values of the gospel. And most of us have, even the clergy, the vocation to live the gospel in the world, not in some shutaway location. Although there are people who are called to do that, and we are richer for it. So when we think about vocation, what happened when the voice was heard by everybody was they began to understand their vocation in depth. Dr. John McQuarrie, who died a few years ago, was the Lady Margaret Professor of Divinity at Oxford. I met him once a long time ago. And when I was in seminary, we had to read the principles of Christian theology. He was Lady Margaret Professor of Divinity at Oxford. I would love to be the Lady Margaret Professor of Divinity at Oxford. Just to have the title. Who was Lady Margaret? Lady Margaret was the mother of Henry VII, Lady Margaret Beaufort. And she was a sufficiently big cheese that we have a Lady Margaret Professor of Divinity at Cambridge and we have one at Oxford as well. So it's a big deal. John McQuarrie said in his book, that when the apostles and the disciples who followed Jesus saw him at the signal moments of his earthly ministry, they understood who he was because they saw him in death, depth, which meant that they put two and two together after a long period of relationship with him. So, for example, on the mountain during the transfiguration, when Peter and James and John see Jesus talking with Elijah and with Moses and is transfigured before them, they see him in depth. The only way they can do that is that they've seen him do all that other stuff in the past. Now, you have all had some kind of an experience like that in your life where you have put two and two together. Some experience where you have seen in some way a reflection of your past leading you to the present moment. It can sometimes not be a pleasant experience or a happy experience. I heard on a television show when I was a kid somebody saying, uh, putting two, two, two and two together, I've come up with one of the nastiest fours I've ever seen. Right? So that can happen to you. So seeing your life in depth can also mean facing what you see now as a challenge, an opportunity to work on your emotional, spiritual, and mental states. And what you receive at your baptism gives you the strength and ability to be able to do that because you, part, you possess the Spirit of God, God coming in an inward way to enlighten and strengthen us. God's affirmative response to Jesus at his baptism is the response we all receive at our baptism. And it has the power to strengthen whatever we believe our calling is. So remember, we are God's sons and daughters, 
and with us he is well pleased. Amen. Amen.